Chapter six of Our Nig. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Bridget Gage. Our Nig by Harriet E. Wilson. Chapter six. Varieties. Hard are life's early steps, and but that youth is buoyant, confident, and strong in hope, men would behold its threshold and despair. The sorrow of Fredo was very great for her pet, and Mr. Belmont, by great exertion, obtained it again. Much to the relief of the child. To be thus deprived of all her sources of pleasure was a sure way to exalt their worth, and Fido became, in her estimation, a more valuable presence than the human beings who surrounded her. James had now been married a number of years, and frequent requests for a visit from the family were at last accepted, and Mrs. Belmont made great preparations for a fall sojourn in Baltimore. Mary was installed housekeeper. In name merely, for Nig was the only moving power in the house. Although suffering from their joint severity, she felt safer than to be thrown wholly upon an ardent, passionate, unrestrained young lady, whom she always hated and felt it hard to be obliged to obey. The trial she must meet. Were Jack or Jane at home, she would have some refuge. One only remained. Good Aunt Abby was still in the house. She saw the fast receding coach which conveyed her master and mistress with regret, and begged for one favor only that James would send for her when they returned, a hope she had confidently cherished all these five years. She was now able to do all the washing, ironing, baking, and the common etc. of household duties, though but fourteen. Mary left all for her to do, though she affected great responsibility. She would show herself in the kitchen long enough to relieve herself of some command, better withheld, or insist upon some compliance to her wishes in some department which she was very imperfectly acquainted with, very much less than the person she was addressing, and so impetuous till her orders were obeyed, that to escape the turmoil, Nig would often go contrary to her own knowledge to gain a respite. Nig was taken sick. What could be done the work, certainly? But not by Miss Mary. So Nig would work while she could remain erect, then sink down upon the floor or a chair till she could rally for a fresh effort. Mary would look in upon her, chide her for her laziness, threaten to tell mother when she came home, and so forth. Nig, screamed Mary, one of her sickest days, come here and sweep these threads from the carpet. She attempted to drag her weary limbs along, using the broom as support. Impatient of delay, she called again, but with a different request. Bring me some wood, you lazy jade, quick. Nig rested the broom against the wall, and started on the fresh behest. Too long gone, flushed with anger, she rose and greeted her with, What are you gone so long for? Bring it in quick, I say. I am coming as quick as I can, she replied, entering the door. Saucy, impudent nigger you, is this the way you answer me? and taking a large carving-knife from the table, she hurled it, in her rage, at the defenseless girl. Dodging quickly, it fastened in the ceiling a few inches from where she stood. There rushed on Mary's mental vision a picture of bloodshed, in which she was the perpetrator, and the sad consequences of what was so nearly an actual occurrence. "'Tell anybody of this, if you dare. If you tell Aunt Abby, I'll certainly kill you,' said she, terrified." She returned to her room, brushed her threads herself, was for a day or two more guarded, and so escaped deserved and merited penalty. 
Oh, how long the week seemed which held Nig in subjection to Mary! But they passed like all earth's sorrows and joys. Mr. and Mrs. B. returned delighted with their visit, and laden with rich presents for Mary. No word of hope for Nig. James was quite unwell, and would come home the next spring for a visit. This, thought Nig, will be my time of release. I shall go back with him. From early dawn until after all were retired, was she toiling, overworked, disheartened, longing for relief. Exposure from heat to cold, or the reverse, often destroyed her health for short intervals. She wore no shoes until after frost, and snow even appeared, and bared her feet again before the last vestige of winter disappeared. These sudden changes she was so illy guarded against, nearly conquered her physical system. Any word of complaint was severely repulsed, or cruelly punished. She was told she had much more than she deserved, so that manual labor was not in reality her only burden, but such an incessant torrent of scolding and boxing and threatening was enough to deter one of maturer years from remaining within sound of the strife. It is impossible to give an impression of the manifest enjoyment of Mrs. B. in these kitchen scenes. It was her favorite exercise to enter the apartment noisily, vociferate orders, give a few sudden blows to quicken Nig's pace, then return to the sitting-room with such a satisfied expression, congratulating herself upon her thorough housekeeping qualities. She usually rose in the morning at the ringing of the bell for breakfast. If she were heard stirring before that time, Nig knew well there was an extra amount of scolding to be borne. No one now stood between herself and Fredo but Aunt Abby, and if she dared to interfere in the least, she was ordered back to her own quarters. Nig would creep slyly into her room, learn what she could of her regarding the absent, and thus gain some light in the thick gloom of care and toil and sorrow in which she was immersed. The first of spring a letter came from James, announcing declining health. He must try northern air as a restorative, so Fredo joyfully prepared for this agreeable increase of the family, this addition to her cares. He arrived feeble, lame from his disease. So changed Fredo wept at his appearance, fearing he would be removed from her forever. He kindly greeted her, took her to the parlor to see his wife and child, and said many things to kindle smiles on her sad face. Fredo felt so happy in his presence, so safe from maltreatment. He was to her a shelter. He observed silently the ways of the house a few days. Nig still took her meals in the same manner as formerly, having the same allowance of food. He one day bade her not remove the food, but sit down to the table and eat. She will, mother, said he, calmly, but imperatively. I'm determined she works hard, I've watched her. Now while I stay she is going to sit down here, and eat such food as we eat. A few sparks from the mother's black eyes were the only reply. She feared to oppose where she knew she could not prevail. So Nig's standing attitude and selected diet vanished. Her clothing was yet poor and scanty. She was not blessed with a Sunday attire, for she was never permitted to attend church with her mistress. Religion was not meant for niggers, she said. When the husband and brothers were absent, she would drive Mrs. B. and Mary there, then return, and go for them at the close of the service, but never remain. Aunt Abby would take her to the evening meetings, held in the neighborhood, which Mrs. B. never attended, and impart to her lessons of truth and grace as they walked to the place of prayer. 
Many of less piety would scorn to present so doleful a figure. Mrs. B. had shaved her glossy ringlets, and in her coarse cloth gown and ancient bonnet she was anything but an enticing object. But Aunt Abby looked within. She saw a soul to save, an immortality of happiness to secure. These evenings were eagerly anticipated by Nig. It was such a pleasant release from labor. Such perfect contrast in the melody and prayers of these good people to the harsh tones which fell on her ears during the day. Soon she had all their sacred songs at command, and enlivened her toil by accompanying it with this melody. James encouraged his aunt in her efforts. He had found the Savior. He wished to have Fredo's desolate heart gladdened, quieted, sustained by his presence. He felt sure there were elements in her heart which, transformed and purified by the gospel, would make her worthy the esteem and friendship of the world. A kind, affectionate heart, native wit and common sense, and the pertness she sometimes exhibited, he felt, if restrained properly, might become useful in originating a self-reliance which would be of service to her in after years. Yet it was not possible to compass all this, while she remained where she was. He wished to be cautious about pressing too closely her claims on his mother, as it would increase the burdened one he so anxiously wished to relieve. He cheered her on with the hope of returning with his family when he recovered sufficiently. Nig seemed awakened to new hopes and aspirations, and realized a longing for the future, hitherto unknown. To complete Nig's enjoyment, Jack arrived unexpectedly. His greeting was as hearty to herself as to any of the family. "'Where are your curls, Frey?' asked Jack, after the usual salutation. "'Your mother cut them off.' "'Thought you were getting handsome, did she? Same old story, is it? Knocks and bumps? Better times coming, never fear, Nig.' How different this appellative sounded from him! He said it in such a tone, with such a roguish look. She laughed, and replied that he had better take her west for a housekeeper. Jack was pleased with James' innovations of table discipline, and would often tarry in the dining-room, to see Nig in her new place at the family table. As he was thus sitting one day, after the family had finished dinner, Fredo seated herself in her mistress's chair, and was just reaching for a clean dessert plate, which was on the table when her mistress entered. "'Put that plate down. You shall not have a clean one. Eat from mine,' continued she. Nig hesitated. To eat after James, his wife or Jack, would have been pleasant, but to be commanded to do what was disagreeable by her mistress, because it was disagreeable, was trying. Quickly looking about, she took the plate, called Fido to wash it, which he did to the best of his ability, then, wiping her knife and fork on the cloth, she proceeded to eat her dinner. Nig never looked toward her mistress during the process. She had Jack near. She did not fear her now. Insulted, full of rage, Mrs. Belmont rushed to her husband, and commanded him to notice this insult, to whip that child. If he would not do it, James ought. James came to hear the kitchen version of the affair. Jack was boiling over with laughter, he related all the circumstances to James, and pulling a bright silver half-dollar from his pocket, he threw it at Nig, saying, "'There, take that. Twas worth paying for.' James sought his mother, told her he would not excuse or palliate Nig's impudence, but she should not be whipped or be punished at all. "'You have not treated her mother so as to gain her love. She is only exhibiting your remissness in this matter.' 
She only smothered her resentment, until a convenient opportunity offered. The first time she was left alone with Nig, she gave her a thorough beating, to bring up arrearages, and threatened, if she ever exposed her to James, she would cut her tongue out. James found her, upon his return, sobbing, but fearful of revenge, she dared not answer his queries. He guessed their cause, and longed for returning health to take her under his protection. End of chapter 6